Uh, as a, a pastor, uh, something that I get to do that not all the world uh, gets to do quite often is spend time with people at the time of death uh, and visiting them uh, often in the hospital or in home hospice. And, um, you know, people have a variety of different sort of dispositions at the time of death, but one thing that I see quite often is the sort of sense of unfinished business, a sense of unfinished business in the the day of or the weeks leading up uh, to death. Um, I recently visited someone uh, who retired on a Tuesday, um, and I visited uh, her and her family on a Saturday in the hospital after having a massive uh, coronary incident. Uh, just a few days after retiring, uh, and the, the adult son and daughter were there, and they were in great distress. And one of the things they told me is, uh, they told me she had just retired on Tuesday, and she's remodeling her kitchen. And they just started laughing at the sort of ridiculous uh, nature of that. And uh, she died the next day. She died the next day. Isn't that crazy that sometimes you retire on Tuesday, you start remodeling your kitchen, and then you die on Sunday? There's another woman at a, a church that uh, I was serving at before this who is on vestry, uh, our, our church board. And um, a few weeks before her death, I remember she was quite ill, and she walked me through the procedures of um, some particular uh, program. Uh, she was quite involved with a lot of outreach programming. And uh, in the weeks leading up to her death, I was visiting with her almost on a daily basis. And one day she said to me, um, there's so much more I have to do. There's so much more uh, that I could do. Um, a, lo- a lot related to these sort of outreach ministries. And I think that would probably be my own sort of fear or feeling anxiety if I think about, you know, if I were on my deathbed right now, I'd think, gosh, is this it? You know, I mean, there there are certain things that I thought I'd take care of by now, <laughs> certain acts of sort of self-improvement, um, uh, just uh, the to-do list, you know, sort of endless. The, uh, I reach inbox zero only to have people respond to me within a matter of minutes, you know, and I think that that would be kind of a, an overriding sense that I would have if I were on my deathbed right now. And this really is the uh, effects of the fall, This is the effects of the fall of mankind that we are like this. Remember uh, in Genesis, after the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, had eaten the fruit, God pronounced uh, uh, what what reality would be like, not only for the man and the woman, but for the serpent. But he says to the woman, um, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Um, meaning uh, that before, if she were to give birth, it wouldn't be painful, first of all. But not only that, if, if you have a child, the child rearing is painful. It's this sort of constant um, procedure of struggle. <laughs> uh, even if you have a good relationship with your children, uh, there it is, it's never perfect. And he says to her, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Whereas before... Um, you were on an even playing field, now you will struggle for leadership in the household. Um, You will be combative, uh, and that's just the case. This isn't um, 
necessarily a hex as much as it's just a description of the reality, that that's the way it's going to be. And then he turns to Adam and says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants uh, of the field. Um, by the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. Um, so as whereas before, uh, you didn't need to toil, Adam, to sort of get your daily bread, to sort of get by in life. Things just were. Uh, they... Uh, uh, as people like to say now, it is what it is. You know, really at that time, it is what it was. Uh, but, but now, to make a living, you will sweat and uh, you will be battered. And uh, whether it's a blue-collared or a white-collared job, you will, you will labor and toil. And not only that, to that ground you will return, for out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return and so this sense of toil is connected with our earthly death. Um, death and this, this, this toiling um, are, are interconnected. Uh, you can't separate the two. Um, and so the, this idea at the time of death of feeling that there's still the to-do list is no surprise, therefore. Um, and then just think of after Adam and Eve, immediately we hear the story of their sons, Cain and Abel, who... Um, who have a, a struggle for status, and one kills the other. Um, and it's been like that ever since. Or think not too much later about the Tower of Babel, when all of mankind was in one place and spoke one language, and they say, let's make a name for ourselves by building this uh, tower. Again, striving uh, for status, toiling, laboring, uh, finding identity in the things that we do. And it was no different in Corinth. Uh, when Paul wrote his uh, first epistle to the Corinthians, he was responding to this sort of situation. Although the, the Christians, they were relatively new Christians, although they were Christians in Corinth, all was not perfect. Um, um, and uh, among a, a lot of other sins, one that uh, Paul gets at in his first epistle to the Corinthians has one to do with different factions within the church. I'm for Paul or Apollos, or at the Eucharist, there were divisions among people based on social status. And that was a big thing in Corinth. People were worried about social status influenced by the pagan culture surrounding them, um, and we're no different. You know, I mean, we can look at them in judgment, but as you read 1 Corinthians, when I read it, I, I read modern-day America in 2016, so it's really no surprise that the Corinthians, after Paul leaves, would quickly fall into this pattern of sin, of social jockeying and one-upmanship and keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and we experience the toiling effects of the fall in our culture as well in similar ways. Um, just think about the idea of being busy. You know, it used to be like 10, 15 years ago, you'd ask someone how they were doing and they would say, fine, <laughs> or okay, I'm doing good. And now you ask people how they're doing, about 90% of the time people say busy, uh, busy. Uh, or just think about sleep, uh, the lack of sleep that people get. By the way, I give you permission to take a nap. I give you permission to take a nap. After you leave uh, today, 
um, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, take a nap. Uh, because Americans lack sleep, and it's, it's sort of seen as a, um, as a badge of honor. You know, people will say, like, I pulled an all-nighter last night uh, for their job, and, and it's supposed to be like, you know, way to go for working so hard, or um, that I can get by with four to six hours of sleep is seen as a sort of a feat of strength, but really it's not at all, and we're all sort of walking around with this lack of sleep toiling, uh, because the to-do to -do list is so long. I once told someone recently, I wish there were 25 hours in the day, and he said, no, you don't, because you just find more things to fill it with, and then you'd wish there were 26 hours in the day. Um, and uh, ever since Adam and Eve, it's, it's been like that, and it will continue to be that way. Have you ever seen the uh, movie Wit, W-I-T, Wit? It's based on a play. Uh, it stars uh, uh, Emma Thompson, who uh, plays uh, an academic, about 40-something probably, named uh, Vivian Baring, who's a, a professor of classics or literature, and she studies her particular area of expertise is John Donne's poems. Uh, and um, the movie is about the last eight months of her life. Uh, she has this aggressive, uh, rare form of cancer that's killing her. And the only possibility, slim uh, chance of hope, is with some experimental drugs that will make her absolutely sick, and they do. And so she spends the last eight months of her life uh, uh, not only dying, but ill uh, because of the medication, uh, and most of that time in the hospital and alone. And uh, during the, uh, the course of the story, a lot of it's sort of back and forth of the present of her time in the hospital and flashbacks to interactions that she had, uh, uh, social interactions with people. Um, and she's uh, put all of her identity into her work as an academic, single, no children, no friends really, no loved ones, no family to sort of, uh, no evidence of any family because nobody visits her in the hospital, only the doctors and nurses do. Um, and then it starts to be that these flashbacks to the past seem to start being illusions because her mind is playing tricks on her. And um, when she's really close to death, when you get the idea that she might be dying, uh, there's someone in her flashbacks that often appears as her mentor, is this uh, woman named Professor Ashford, who is just as hard-charging as, uh, as Vivian Baring was in her academic life. Um, uh, the, the mentor is a lot like the mentee. But this uh, woman, this English woman, Professor Ashford, comes into Vivian Baring's hospital room when she's basically hours away from death, uh, the only person to visit her. Um, and... Uh, Vivian can barely even speak, and Professor Ashford asks, would you like me to read you some John Donne? And she groans, no, <laughs> no. This is the thing she's told over her whole life, and this is the last thing she wants to hear is some John Donne. And Professor Ashford was at a Barnes & Noble in New York City. Uh, she was in town visiting her grandchildren, so she buys while there a copy of Runaway Bunny, and she goes, oh, well, I'll read this to you. And she had never read it before. You're probably familiar with this old children's story by Margaret Wise Brown. Um, and as she reads, she, she takes off her shoes and crawls and sits in the bed with, uh, with Vivian and starts to read it. And as she gets about halfway through, she goes, oh, look, it's a little allegory of the soul. 
No matter where the bunny tries to hide, God always finds it. The bunny's constantly working to run away, and yet God finds it. And so the bunny finally gives up. And at that moment, Vivian basically has permission to die. And she does. As soon as Professor Ashford leaves, she dies. Well, what about you? Um, you know, what about your death? Just meditate on that. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to do is prepare you for your own death. That's a lot of what a pastor ought to do, is to prepare you for your own death. Because as the onion says, uh, the statistic holds steady death at 100%. You know, you're all... Joss Whedon, uh, the, uh, the screenwriter for Toy Story, gave this magnificent uh, commencement speech where he started it uh, at Wesleyan University and said, you're all going to die. <laughs> that was the note that he begun with. And although that commencement speech was a little bit nihilistic, uh, it's true. Yeah, you're, you're, you're all going to die. And, and so think about that, you know? Uh, and you'll have a, a funeral service. And in the Episcopal Church, um, we start uh, the funeral service with what we call sentences of Scripture, which you might be familiar with if you've gone to some. Uh, the, the, the officiant usually reads these sentences of Scripture while walking down the aisle instead of an opening hymn. And the very last one is this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Even so saith the Spirit, for they rest from their labors. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Even so saith the Spirit, for they rest from their labors. Um, and then another uh, common line that people often remember is this one later in the service is, Give rest, O Christ, to your servant with your saints, where sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing, but everlasting life. Give rest uh, from these labors. Um, the, 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 the place after this earthly life uh, is a place where there is no more sorrow or pain or sighing, but everlasting life. No more toil or labor. It's the end of the to-do list, basically. I visited another person in the hospital um, who uh, was toward death who was 94 years old um, and uh, was a single woman who also was an academic, uh, a teacher though, a school teacher, not a university professor, uh, 94 years old. And um, I was able to somehow in this conversation sort of cut through, um, cut, cut through the sort of uh, the smokescreen, you know, of life, the sort of facade that we often give each other. In that point in the hospital room, I was sort of able to penetrate through the truth and honesty with her. And she talk, talked to me about, uh, she, talk, she kept using this word adequacy, adequacy. And I said, well, what's that about, Minnie? Her name was Minnie. And uh, she said, when I was a child, uh, my parents made me to feel inadequate, made me to feel inadequate. And so I put all my energy into becoming a teacher and uh, all my identity into that, and never was married, never had any children, uh, put all of my effort into uh, my profession for the sake of being adequate. Uh, and I still feel inadequate. At 94 stinking years old, you know, this is the thing that was driving her crazy at her deathbed. Um, and I took her by the hands, 
and looked her in the eyes and I said, Minnie, you are adequate because of Jesus Christ, your Lord, who not only died for the forgiveness of your sins, but was raised for your justification, was raised for your adequacy. Uh, And I now give you permission to die with a sense of feeling up to it. Not because of anything that you've done, but because what, what Jesus has done for you. Well, what ways do you feel inadequate? You know, what big way or what small little ways that sort of add up make you feel inadequate? And know that Jesus not only died for the forgiveness of your sins, but also was raised for your justification. Um, And find hope. Find hope in that resurrection. I know it's kind of abstract, but find hope in that resurrection of Jesus Christ who conquered the grave. Remember that death is interconnected with our toil that we so often bring to the deathbed. But Jesus Christ conquered that. There's no longer any judgment, but his love conquered that judgment. So you now have permission to rest from your labors to the extent that you can. Take a nap, you know, get a tight eight hours of sleep tonight. Uh, because none of that toiling is going to add up. You'll be 94 on your deathbed and still, after all the labors, will say, I feel inadequate, because it won't amount to enough. Well, let me uh, read to you just the, the first page of Runaway Bunny, as Professor Ashford did when she was sitting in the deathbed of, uh, of Vivian Baring, the hard-charging uh, 40-something academic who, uh, who also was toiling at her deathbed with the endless to-do list, Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I'll run after you. For you are my little bunny. Well, although you run away from him, although you run away from God with your toil, uh, he ran after you. He ran after all of us. So much so that he defeated death as a first fruits. Uh, so that we might follow. He opened the gates for righteousness for you. And so now rest uh, in these words of comfort, uh, which you'll probably hear again at a funeral that you go to for a loved one. But know that if you die and you're a member of this church, we'll read them at your funeral. I'm the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though this body be destroyed, yet shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not as a stranger. For none of us liveth, uh, liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For if we live, we live unto the Lord, and if we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Even so saith the Spirit, for they rest from their labors. Amen.